Hey there, welcome back to another episode of the Bible in Life podcast. My name is John Whitaker, and I am so glad you're joining me on this podcast. Our goal here on the Bible in Life is to provide what I call Blue Jeans Theology. That is Bible teaching, theology that's in the language of everyday life, that wears everyday dress, everyday clothes, blue jeans, so that we can learn how to follow Jesus right in the context of our everyday life. And if this is your first time listening to the podcast, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, I'm, I'm grateful that you're joining me. If you've been around for a long time and you're a regular listener, thanks for being a part of the Bible and Life family. Uh, this whole podcast is made possible by the generosity of people who support this ministry, who believe in the vision of it. And if you're one of those who have donated or continue to donate, thanks a ton for your support. Couldn't do this ministry without you and your investment, your sacrifice is making a difference in the lives of people all around the world. And it's really people who matter most. In fact, I posted this on my Instagram the other night, but uh, Friday night, my son and daughter-in-law went on a little date, and that meant we were on grandma and grandpa duty, so we had their two kids. Their kids are two and a half and seven months old. Um, and then Saturday morning, my daughter and her husband went on a morning date, and we had their two kids, and their two kids are two and a half and five months old. And so between Friday night and Saturday morning, we were watching grandkids. And on Friday night, little Violet, she's two and a half, and she was out in a little kiddie pool in the backyard. And after a little bit, she just climbed out of the kiddie pool, crawled up in my lap, curled up a little bit, and just sat in Papa's lap silently enjoying just being with me and that is just uh, that's just wonderful right and then um saturday morning we had the other two and and a little briley she's the two and a half year old well i had some errands i have to run and she loves to go to home depot with papa so we went to home depot and we went to another store and bought some dog food and uh, she wanted to walk through these stores, and her little tiny two-year-old legs don't move nearly as fast as mine. I I could have got my errands done a whole lot faster, but she wanted to walk. So we walked through Home Depot and the other store, and uh, I didn't get my lawn mowed on Saturday. I didn't get uh, the side of the house cleaned up on Saturday. I didn't get some of my projects done um, over the course of the weekend. But in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't really matter. And it doesn't matter because people matter most. Um, and the reason people matter most is because people last for eternity. And so it's a huge blessing just to be able to have uh, my little granddaughter crawl up in my lap and sit in my lap or my other one just toddle alongside me as we wander through Home Depot. It's a massive blessing to be a part of their life and to be a person of importance and influence in their life because people matter most. All right, well, over the last uh, few weeks, we have been just exploring a really a handful of random topics related to reading and thinking through and understanding the Old Testament law. And by the Old Testament law, um, technically, we're talking about the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. More specifically, we're focusing on the the law portions itself, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, uh, and some of those law codes within them. That's kind of what we've been focusing on this series and really wrestling with the value of that section of Scripture, how to read that section of Scripture in a profitable way, in a way that's understandable, 
And so what I want to do on this episode is I want to just take a look at Leviticus and really explore a handful of things related to the book of Leviticus to help us maybe read Leviticus well, because it's like when we're reading through the Bible and we come to Leviticus, like, oh, Leviticus, right? Like, man, you got to be kidding me. And we start reading and and it's not the most scintillating reading. It's not always easy and it's confusing and it's hard and it's weird. And it's like, why is this even here? And what is this all about? Um, and so Leviticus, I just want to just kind of want to explore some things related to Leviticus on this episode. Um, and let me just say at the outset that we, we need to remember whenever we're studying a book of the Bible, whatever book it is, we need to remember that we're not the original audience, that it wasn't originally written to us. Uh, even though as scripture, as God's word, it's written for us. Apostle Paul in 2 uh, Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says that all scripture is inspired by God and it's profitable. It's useful, right? And so as scripture, it's profitable for us. It's beneficial for us, but it wasn't originally written to us. And here's what that means for the book of Leviticus. For the book of Leviticus, we come to this book, we start reading it, and and we react, as I said a moment ago, like, oh, Leviticus. We react that way because we're not the original audience. It doesn't have immediate pertinence to us, right? Like, we're not living in 1500 BC during the days of Moses as a newly formed nation who's entered into covenant relationship with Yahweh, the one true God, and need to know what it looks like then to be his people and to live in relationship with him. That's just not who we are, right? But that's who Leviticus was written to. So what that means is, uh, is that as we read Leviticus, just like any other book, what we really need to do is we need to uh, put ourselves in the sandals of the very first original audience, the crowd around Moses, that first you know, fo newly formed people of Israel. We need to put ourselves in their sandals and try to read the book and hear the book from their vantage point, from their perspective, with their needs, and understand it as best as we can in their day and age and from their vantage point. And then once we figure that out, then we can begin to say, well, what value or benefit then does it have for us as Scripture? So that's really how we should approach it. That, that the Bible, so often our first question when we read the Bible is, what, what does this mean for me? Like, what value is there in this for me? That's just not the first question we should ask. Uh, we need to understand it, hear it well, and listen closely and understand it on its terms first before we ask that question. And so we should always seek to try to, to hear it uh, from the vantage point of the original audience before we try to figure out how we're supposed to respond to it or what value there is for us. Because we've got to hear it well. We've got to listen to it well. We've got to make sure we understand the message well before... We try to do anything with it. The same is true with Leviticus. And so we want to put ourselves as best as we can in the sandals of that very first audience. And when we do that, the first thing we notice is this, is that Leviticus is really a continuation of Exodus. Like Exodus ends 
Um, you read the book of Exodus, right, and you get the story of the, the plagues and then the exodus of Israel as they come out of Egypt and they end up at the base of Mount Sinai, whereupon God you know, uh, establishes his covenant with them, gives them the, the Ten Commandments, and then gives some of those case laws we looked at in our last episode that show how the, those Ten Commandments are intended to function within them as sort of civic law and social law and all of that. And then after that, what you get in the whole last half of Exodus is you get you get blueprints for and the building of the tabernacle, the place of meeting, the place where God is going to come to dwell among his people so that he can live with them as uh, as their God and they be his holy people. That's what you get, the blueprints. And then the book ends. And specifically, the book of Exodus ends with God's presence filling the, the uh, tabernacle, the tent of meeting. And, and then it's like, well, what do we do from here? We've, we've got this nice holy tent. God has come to dwell with it. Uh, we're supposed to be his people, and he's supposed to live with us. And what does that mean, and how does that play out? Well, that's what Leviticus is for. Uh, and so one of the ways, not exclusively, but one of the functions of the book of Leviticus for the original audience is it's sort of like a, a procedures manual for the priests. Hence Leviticus, the Levitical priest, the Levitical rituals, the Levitical rules, right? Like that's not the only thing it does, but it's one of the major things that the book of Leviticus does. Is it is it's like reading a policy and procedures manual for the Levitical priesthood about now that you got this cool tent of meeting, here's what you're supposed to do in it. Here's how you're supposed to Remember, you're supposed to do sacrifices? Well, here's how we do sacrifices as my people. Um, here is the annual calendar and this, the, the feasts and the festivals that you're supposed to have that revolve around this tent of meeting. And here's what you're supposed to do for that. And so Leviticus, the reason it's, it's not very exciting is because policy and procedure manuals aren't very exciting. If you've ever you know, started a new job and one of the requirements was you had to re read the employee handbook, check the box that you read it, right? Or you had to read the procedures manual for your specific department at the job. Here's the procedures. Here's how we do things. You've got to read that. Check the box that you read it. And so, yeah, sure, you read the procedures manual, but it wasn't very exciting. This roughly an analogy for Leviticus. It's not the only thing it does, but that's what Leviticus, one of the major things it does. And so as you read through Leviticus, the first seven chapters are all about sacrifices. Here's the various sacrifices that uh, God wants them, now that they are God's people, newly formed as a new nation, right? There are sacrifices in all the major cultures around Israel. They had sacrifices. They had complex religious you know, practices and rituals and all that. So that's the world they're living in. God calls them to himself, and he has sacrifices for them. Here's the various sacrifices in the first seven chapters. Here's how you carry those out. Here's how you're supposed to do that. Here's the procedures for the various sacrifices, first seven chapters. And then in Leviticus, what you get is chapters 8 through 10, and you get some stuff about the priests and who the priests are and how they're supposed to be holy and they're supposed to be set apart, right? We'll come back to the priest a little bit later in the book. And we'll get them again. And then after that second chunk about the priests and who they're supposed to be and what they're supposed to do, then you, you get more stuff about 
the annual calendar and some of the feasts and the festivals that are supposed to shape the people um, and how that's supposed to involve them. So you get, particularly in the first 10 chapters and the last handful of chapters of the book, you get these sections that are really about procedure manuals for the priesthood and what we do with the tabernacle and how we carry all of that out. Now, that that's at a functional level what it's doing. At a kind of a relational level between the people and God, what it's trying to help them understand is, here's some of the things you need to know and you need to understand in order to, to live as uh, in covenant relationship with a holy God. So this is important. This is really about God. This book, Leviticus, is all about the relationship between Israel and God. God wants to dwell among them in this tent of meeting. God is a holy God, and they are supposed to be his holy people. And so what's involved in that relationship? What happens when the relationship goes south? Uh, when the people don't ab abide by God's rules or in some way break the covenant or break one of the uh, the you know Ten Commandments, what are we supposed to do then? Sacrifices, right? Um, what does it mean when you grow crops and and how do you live in relationship to a holy God when you grow crops on the land He's given you? Well, let's have a ritual, uh, religious calendar where we're gonna we're gonna be grateful and we're gonna offer these to God in gratitude. And we're gonna celebrate the good gifts and we're gonna we're gonna learn how to feast and celebrate and party in God's presence, grateful for the blessings He's given us. And so we get the ritual calendar. This is all about relationship with God and living as God's holy people. So ultimately. That's what Leviticus is about. And so the middle sections of the book, then, are really all about how the people are supposed to live as God's holy people. So you get some of this religious ritual, some of these practices on the, the, uh, the kind of the bookends of the book. And in the middle, you get what does it look like to be God's holy people and how are we supposed to live that way? Now, we have mentioned it before in some of the previous episodes revolving around the law, but the idea of holiness is really just the idea of set apart, unique, distinct. And what Leviticus uh, teaches and shows over and over good again is that because God is holy, his people are supposed to be holy. Because God is set apart and unique and distinct from all the other gods of the nations, because God, as the one true God, is set apart from all of creation. He alone is the uncreated one, right? And he is therefore distinct and set apart from all of creation. So he's holy, set apart, distinct. As such, he is going to live among his people, and thus his people also have to be holy, distinct, and set apart. And we looked at that last time. That line from uh, Exodus 19, where they're set apart to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And so they're supposed to stand out among the nations as unique. And Leviticus repeats multiple times they're supposed to do that because Yahweh is their God. They're supposed to be holy because he is holy. And so this middle section of the book, then, you get lots of stuff about how they're supposed to stand out, how they're supposed to be distinct, that they're supposed to be distinct in the way they handle their crops. They're supposed to be distinct in the way they dress. They're supposed to be distinct in their sexual purity. They're supposed to be distinct in their relational uh, interactions with people. They're supposed to be distinct in the way they take care of the poor and the needy 
uh, among them, right? Like they're, they're supposed to stand out from the nations and be different than the nations in all these ways. And some of these rules for how they're supposed to be different are just built-in inherent moral laws, the stuff you see in the Ten Commandments, uh, the sanctity of life, thou shalt not murder, right? Uh, the sanctity of marriage, you shall not commit adultery. The the uh, holiness of sex and sexuality, and right? And so you, you have some of the stuff that's deep moral integrity. You also have some of these ways that they're supposed to be different that are like symbolic behaviors, symbolic actions that are just ways to set them apart or symbolic practices that are ways that are supposed to show that we don't associate with death or disease or immorality. And so they have just some what seem odd to us, but they were really like giant object lessons. They were symbolic. And that's really where even like the food laws come in, the kosher food laws that uh, were such a part of uh, Israel's identity and grows out of the law. Those laws are really a, a symbolic set of laws. There's been a lot of discussion and a lot of study, a lot of reflection on why these laws, why, you know, wh why these clean and unclean foods and clean and unclean animals Right? There's been a lot of reflection on that. Uh, and there may have been a variety of purposes for, for some of those things. Maybe there were some hygiene reasons or some health reasons for some of those food laws. But the fundamental reason, at least given in Exodus, is actually to set the Israel apart from the nations, that, that they were symbolic of Israel's distinctiveness. Let me read you Leviticus chapter 20, verse 24 and following. Hence I have said to you, you are to possess their land, this is God speaking, and I myself will give it to you to possess it, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am Yahweh, your God, who has separated you from the peoples. I've made you distinct. I've made you different. Therefore, verse 25, therefore, you are to make a distinction between the clean animal and the unclean, between the unclean bird and the clean, and you shall not make yourselves detestable by an animal or bird or by anything that creeps on the ground, which I have separated for you as unclean. Thus you are to be holy to me, for I, Yahweh, am holy, and I have set you apart from the peoples, the nations, to be mine. So, one of the purposes of the food laws, it seems like the primary purpose of the food laws is simply to be a symbolic practice of clean and unclean that they would be distinct from the people. In fact, that seems even in the New Testament to be the way it plays out. So when God wants to teach the early church that uh, this distinction between the nations is now uh, no longer in effect, and they're supposed to go to all the nations and welcome them in now to God's people. When that happens in the book of Acts, Acts chapters 10 and 11, um, Peter, the apostle, gets a vision. And what does he get a vision of? All sorts of unclean animals. And, and God says to him, um, that which I have now deemed clean, you don't call unclean. 
And Peter all of a sudden, takes three times, but Peter all of a sudden realizes, oh, God is saying this distinction between the nations, between the Gentiles and us, is no longer in force, and thus we can welcome in the Gentiles. And immediately then he's called to go to the home of a Gentile, preach the gospel to a Gentile, Cornelius, and the first Gentile comes into the church. And so there, even in the book of Acts, the principle that we see here in Leviticus chapter 20, verses 24 through 26, is the same, that the primary purpose of the food laws was to be like a giant object lesson, a giant uh, set of symbolism uh, to mark Israel out as holy, that is, as separate and distinct and different from the nations. And the reason they're supposed to be different, as it says even there, is because God is different. So since God is different, He's your God, and he lives among you. You too are supposed to be different. And so a lot of these laws in the book of Leviticus are symbolic. They're symbols of Israel's differences. They're symbols that we do things differently, and they have this symbolic force of marking Israel out as different. Some, as I already said, are deeply inherent and moral. The sacrificial rituals are ways of maintaining a pure relationship with God when things go astray or a way of showing our gratitude for God for his bounty and blessings that he's given them, right? That's how this book functions. And so the whole book of Leviticus revolves around this idea of holiness. You are to be holy as I am holy. Um, and the sacrifices are going to help us live in a holy relationship. And when the relationship goes astray and sin or maybe even ritual, ceremonial, symbolic uncleanness gets in the way, we can restore that because I want to be your God and I want to live among you. And then in the very center of the book, you get one really important ritual, the Day of Atonement, where um, all that has tainted the people over the course of the year, maybe the the weekly and daily sacrifices haven't totally uh, acknowledged that or covered that, right? Like we're going to have this one great annual event called the Day of Atonement where the slate is wiped clean and where people then are able to stand before a holy God guilt-free clean. That's the purpose of the Day of Atonement. Now, all of this is in, in part of Israel's covenant with God. And as people who are now not under that covenant, but in the new covenant with the Messiah, as we talked about in a previous episode, then what we do, once we understand it in their context, then what we have to do is look back at that and read that through the lens of the new covenant. One of the ways that plays out, for example, is this clean and unclean distinction. You see, for example, in the Gospel of Mark, where uh, Jesus is having this discussion with the religious leaders of his day, and Jesus uh, already hinting at the old covenant is coming to its end point. It's coming to its culmination point in him. Jesus says to them that, look, whatever goes into the mouth and into the stomach, um, that doesn't make a person unclean anymore, right? Um, that just goes in and passes through. What makes a person unclean, he says, is what comes out of the heart. Then he lists off thefts, murder, adultery, immorality, idolatry, all these things, that's what makes a person unclean. Well, what's Jesus doing? He's actually helping us learn that, yes, clean and unclean is still important. 
Um, we're still dealing with a holy God who expects his people to be pure and holy, but ultimately, clean and unclean has less to do about food laws that were of symbolic value, and now about what goes on in our heart as we relate to a pure and holy God. And that shows us an example then of how to read Leviticus and read some of these laws through the grid of the new covenant. Now, to be fair, there's going to be plenty of things as we read Leviticus that make us scratch our head that we don't get again because we're not the priest having to learn how to do these sacrifices and how to run these festivals and how the tabernacle is supposed to operate. Or we're not living in the ancient Near East in their culture, and so some of the ways they're called to be different and set apart from the nations around them don't make sense because the nations around us don't do those things anymore. And So there's going to be laws and things that just like make us go, huh, I don't really get that, or I don't understand it, or that's odd, or that's weird, or why that? And what we want to try to do is to understand those things, if at all possible, in the context of the ancient Near East. And if we can, it might shed some light on it. But when we can't, what we have to do is just graciously understand that we're reading historical literature from the ancient Near East that's helping Israel be distinct from them. We don't want to just say, oh, it's just weird, it's just dumb, it's just stupid, it's just petty little laws. No, the purpose was to help these people live holy. And that principle is really applied to us. Be holy as I am holy, says the Lord God Almighty. Well, that gets that gets restated in 1 Peter chapter 1 and 2. And, and Jesus seems to echo that at the in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, You shall be complete as your Father is complete. You shall be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. He's echoing that same idea that we are still supposed to be God's holy people today who walk in God's ways, uh, who learn his values and his characters and are different from the world around us so that we can be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation to display the glorious light of God himself. That's who we are. And so though the way it's going to play out for us is not going to be exactly the same for Israel. The call of Leviticus is the same today, to be God's holy people set apart and distinct from the nations. One last little note, if you want a really helpful overview of just the structure of the book of Leviticus and how the book is organized and some of the ways it works, so at least you have the map. So when you read it, with all the details, right, you don't get totally lost. A really helpful overview would be the Bible Project video on the book of Leviticus. If you have the Read Scripture app on your phone, uh, just go to Leviticus and there'll be a video right there put together by the Bible Project. You can watch it there or you can go to YouTube or the Bible Project's website and uh, watch their overview video of the book of Leviticus. Really helpful in helping you understand how the book is arranged and how some of this stuff is intended to work in the book of Leviticus. All right, thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Bible in Life podcast, and thanks for being a part of the Bible in Life family. Thanks again to each and every one of you who supports this ministry, supports the podcast, supports the listener's commentary. Uh, may God bless you. May God lead you. May God walk with you and lead you into his holiness for his name's sake. I hope you have a great week in Christ. I look forward to talking to you again next week.